Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. Once again, for listening to uh, American Tennis, this is Coach Chuck Creasy. And, folks, we're now in our fifth year. Can you believe it? Five years already of American Tennis, and we are going to keep it rolling. Uh, folks, getting ready for these programs is no picnic. I had a great coach coming on today, and uh, he was not able to be with us. I wanted to do the program of building a championship tennis program from A to Z, and we will have that coach on hopefully next week. And then uh, Christmas is on Monday. So I think we will not have to take off for the two days after Christmas. We will see how it goes. But, golly, less than two weeks already to Christmas. We'll be good for next week and then the following week as well. But I'm glad to be here at fifth year and being able to stand up, speak out, say those things that need to be said each and every week and I'm encouraging you as well stand up speak out address issues don't address people you know what folks no one can find fault uh, we are little by little people are getting more and more courage and are standing up and speaking out I was in a meeting last week in um, actually South Carolina Tennis Association meeting and some lady I didn't know the lady or the coach she just got up and said, you know what, my kids hate this no-ad tennis. I hate it. They hate it. Why are we playing this? And I was, that was an opening. I was able to pass out about 25 of my handouts, and I went down primarily to talk to people one-on-one about the, uh, oh, the dumbing down and if you make things easier to pick up. <laughs> They're easier to put down and uh, on and on and on. As you've heard me say so many times, easy to pick up, easy to put down. Easy to pick up, easy to put down. Hard to pick up is hard to put down. Hard to pick up, hard to put down. Program today is the hard road is still the best road for learning. And really, I'm going to uh, 
ask you to do a couple things for Christmas here for your family. If you've got a youngster that's into sports, go out and get this book. And folks, you read it to the talent code. I, you know, it's been eight years ago since I read this book. Um, and I was, I, I loved it then and I love it even more now. And we need it even more now. The talent code by Daniel Coyle, C-O-Y-L-E. Folks, order this book and read it if you want a no-nonsense approach to how you get good at things. And I've often said, and I'll repeat over and over and over, it's not about a pathway. It's about an expressway. It's about a highway. Now, you make your own pathway. You know, make it through a jungle or make it on a highway. You make your own pathway, and you learn how to do things that work best for you and your youngsters. And if you're a young player out there listening to this program, listen, be number one in the world at being yourself. And don't, and then you know what? If you be yourself the best that you can possibly be, don't copy anybody. Look, you can you can use some of the things and learn from other people. I'm not saying that. But if you will be who you are and be number one in the world at being yourself, and that is your goal, you will go to high, high levels. If you doubt, you're out. If you pout, you're out. But be who you are. Stand up, speak out, be who you are. And uh, as coaches, I'm encouraging, again, be like this brave coach I saw down in the meeting. <laughs> she just got up and blurted it out, and I, I, I loved it. I loved it. And uh, folks, our administrators are basically, they have the handcuffs on them. And look, our administrators are not bad people, but you've got to understand they have the golden handcuffs on. Uh, if, if they're old, they've been in it so long, they sort of give up, and I I don't want to ever, that'll be my last program, folks, when I give up fighting against this stuff. And then uh, the young folks, young coaches who get in there, they are, oh, golly, can I say jockstrap sniffers? Or that is that a good word? No, 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 I better not say it. But if I ever again say JSS, on, uh, locker room sniffers, how's that? Locker room Locker room champions, how we call them locker room champions, or the hanger-oners, or the trailers. I used to talk to my uh, players on my team about never being one of these trailers. We used to play this game called Smear on the playground when we were young. And they're always, your personality sort of stood out on the playground. You had those tough guys that would get the ball and hunker down with it, and they'd fight through any tackle. Then you had the kids, and we used to tackle each other on concrete playgrounds or asphalt playgrounds. But the, the, then you would have the guys who were being trying to tackle that the the tough guys, and I I would always say there were the trailers. Those were the hanger-oners, the sniffers, the people that just hung out behind and, and just wanted to be in the program, the groupies, the groupies around excellence. Uh, that's what we find a lot. And I used to tell my guys, I saw this happening probably in the late 90s and early 2000s, I'd say, wow, beside those three leaders that we are describing there, the leaders that want the ball actually and are going to fight through it, those trying to take the ball away from them, some in a good way and some in a courageous way, but others would do hook or crook to try to get that ball out of people's hand. You get bad people trying to take that leadership role away. You got the trailers, but I said, guys, 
unfortunately, now we have the tippers. The tippers, you know, those players that will jump up and act like they really want the ball, but they don't really want it. They're the pretenders. They are the, the, the those folks that hang around, breathe air, occupy space, and they are the tweeners, the wieners, the people who are not really in the game, but they're great pretenders. And I said, don't be one of those guys. So where in the world that story come from? But that's uh, probably haven't heard that one before from me, but it's, it's absolutely true. Okay, I want to get on with this program and talk a couple things and why I'm inspired today to talk about this. Um, easy to pick up, easy to put down, hard to pick up, hard to put down. You have heard me talk about ability, desire, opportunity over and over. I even have a formula for it. I said 23 to 25, your youngsters on their way. On a scale of 1 to 10, measured ability, measured desire, measured opportunity given to the youngsters. If you can put those numbers together in 23 to 25, 23, you can barely make it 24. Pretty good. 25, you're on your way. If you're going to be a pro athlete, you need 25, 26, 27. You've got to have ability, desire, and opportunity. But I wanted to relate a story that I uh, remember. This was 1980, I think 1988, 89, 89 or 90, I was speaking down at the Texas uh, Coaches High School Associated meeting. And boy, if Texas does it right as far as their high school coaches, they have great Always great meeting right before Christmas, the weekend, two or three weekends before Christmas. Probably think they had it last weekend. Somebody was told me they were going down there to speak. But uh, my first book had just come out, uh, Total Tennis Training. I had handwritten it, and I was down there promoting my book. But the headliner for that weekend was the great Julius Irving, the Dr. J., and, of course, growing up in Indiana and loving basketball the way I do and did uh <laughs> i hung on all his words but uh i remember his talk sort of going like this he was talking about training uh how you know everyone talked about he said you're so talented you're so talented growing up and you must have just done this with such great ease because the way you fly around the basket and the way you can stuff basketballs and everything like that and he said uh Youngsters that would go around and uh, would follow me and talk to me sometimes, they would talk about, oh, it must be in the genes. It must be in just the talent, the talent. In other words, the ability, the the, the great genetics. And and then he told a story. He said, you know, I, I don't know so much about that, he says, uh, but I do know that I had this little game that I used to do where I lived. I used to practice jumping up steps when I came home, and I – I forget the story. He had to run errands for his grandmother or something, but he would come. And I remember him saying that he would jump up these steps. And uh, he said when he was seven, he could do two steps at a time. But then when he was 17, he could do seven, take a couple steps, jump seven, then take a couple. And um, that's sort of how I remember the story being told. And uh, he said, I don't know if it was just in the genes or if it had something to do with the thousands and thousands of repetitions, you know. And uh, he said, I think it more had had to do with the repetitions. And the other sto- the other thing was uh, that he brought up was he said, you're such a good competitor. You were just born a competitor. And I think he talked about growing up on the playgrounds. He said, we used to play bowling ring. And 
I remember bowling the ring. We used to make up games when we didn't have balls. But one of the things, uh, some of you out there, if you're old as me, you remember bowling the ring. And what you would do, you'd put four or five kids in this ring, and you would draw draw a circle in the dirt, and then you basically beat the fuzz out of each other until one person was left in the ring. You would try try to fight until the last one was standing. Now, but his point was, I can remember him saying, "Look, I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with Jeanette, and maybe it had something to do with this." But he says, "I I know that it was about the reps, and I know that it was about the competitiveness day in day out, day in day out, day in out, having to fight for things." Last week, I read you the story about the soccer, USA soccer, and I read the story about in the paper about how American soccer will never catch up because we program our kids. We get them the best cleats, the best uniforms, the best situations. Oh, don't let me forget, in tennis as well, this is the comparison to tennis, we make sure that we have referees everywhere so the kids have, they have to get a fair shake. And the article was about we lose to Tobago and we lose to whoever, uh, Trinidad in, in soccer, and it's pathetic. But basically, again, too easy makes it easy to put down, easy to pick up, easy to put down. Why, oh, why don't people go after the harder lessons then? Why don't they go after the harder lessons? Well, I think as human beings, we doubt ourselves a lot, too. We uh, we basically don't like to fail. There's a great saying that says people are usually down on what they're not up to. And we all lack confidence somewhere along the line. And we all lack the belief, I think. we have, No, let's put it this way. We have to learn the belief, either firsthand or or second end, either out of necessity or it needs to be taught to us that fighting for things, that working for things, is the only way to get good at anything. Now, um, I want to open up here and talk about the connection, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. Uh, this has been fresh on my mind for the last two or three months since I talked to my son who's going to be a doctor, and I'm extremely proud. Ten years there, buddy. John, ten years, man. He has stayed, stayed the course, stayed the course. And you don't think as a father you beat your chest when one of your sons has stayed in the game ten years and, and battled to get good at something? You don't You don't think you beat your chest when, when uh, all of my sons, I, they, have, they have turned out to be great men, They've stayed to battle. They're good family men, and, and uh, they they do the things, regardless of having things. They have the stuff that you would never sell. And uh, but hats off to my son who is going to be a doctor. And I was talking to him, and I said, "Son, I said these computers, these cell phones, the kids are on them all the time." And we have to take them away at dinner, and I don't allow them at certain times, and I make them put them away during meetings, and they're just like part of their appendage now. To And he goes, Dad, he says, we were studying about this last year in the brain class. And, again, the words that he used, folks, the words that my son used are that the cell phones have hijacked 
the dopamine faucet of the brain. Now think about that. Why are people motivated to do things? You either need because you have to do it or it's pleasurable to do it. In other words, pain or pleasure, peers, pain, and pleasure. I've always said it, peers, pain, and pleasure. What are the people around you doing? Good peers matter a lot. Pain, if you don't do something, you're not going to get the right, you're not going to go where you get to go where you want to go. In other words, Dr. J talking about, hey, listen, he had to do this stuff as part of survival. And there, there are hundreds of stories out there when people need something and want something and have to get it done, they get it done. We are incredibly talented and incredibly smart. What, what the research? What we're only using 15% of our brain. We're only using one part of our potential. And this talent code it talks about Michelangelo and the great scholars and what, what, what they just had a gift. Usually there was an aptitude there, but there was a attitude for survival. An aptitude, attitude, and then you have the gratitude and you have people around you that give you the gratitude and aptitude, attitude, gratitude, all these things are motivating factors, but you'll do more to prevent the pain than you will to get the gain. Anthony Robbins stuff, personal, uh, what was it, personal power, I think his books were out in the 90s, the early 90s, late 80s, personal power. But absolutely people do more to prevent pain than they will to get a reward. So the dope, but so there's my son was saying you do what you have to do to survive and sometimes you get really, really good at your survival skills because you have to do something. But wanting to do something has to do with the dopamine rush or the dopamine faucet of the brain, the pleasure center of the brain. And if you've played sports that are repetitive, hitting a tennis ball, I, there was no way I thought I was going to ever be in tennis most of my life. But I had a pleasurable experience every time I made great contact with my wood racket and my green stamp wood racket starting out or my Jack Kramer later. But if I had it in the middle of the strings, my golly, it sent a buzz up and down my back and I loved to feel and regardless. And then winning was another thing. We got the adrenaline rush and the competitive rush from competing and winning. And then you got endorphins when you were able to train. But so my son was saying the dopamine faucet of the brain is being taken away by these cell phones, folks. Get them the heck out of your children's hands and have prescribed times. You've got to monitor that because it's stealing the motivation. Stealing the motivation. So I, I wanted to um, that to be the intro. I'm going to go to commercial. I will be right back in the next 20, 25 minutes and call in if you'd like to discuss this. Um, but the next 20, 25 minutes, um, I wanted to go through a couple things. I want to go through the talent code a little bit. And, again, go get this book, The Talent Code. It, um, it is, it's right on the money. If you want to leave other people in the dust with your performance, you've got to understand that repetition is the mother of skill, and this talent code backs it all up, and I'll be right back in a minute after our breaker.
This is Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and go to ChuckCreasy.net. Folks, we're doing some uh, very interesting things coming up. Go to my camp website and see what we're doing for camps this summer. Also, folks, uh, we've got a consultant service, and I am limited with NCA rules, but please look at that. Folks, I will come and do seminar on momentum management for your business, for your youngsters to learn how to manage their match play, and also for your career. But go to ChuckCreasy.net and check out all of the new things we have on that website. I do know I've had a few great rounds, 
but I know until I practice and do the work, it's not it's not going to work out very well. And um, folks, I played I play sports for the uh, dopamine rush that I get, the pleasure that I get from the feel of it all, the excitement. It is part of the adrenaline, and I think that that wears off your dopamine faucet is the enthusiasm and you know what I'm just tell you something out here it's people I can always tell sort of who my enemies are out there and they don't understand me I'll be at a USTA conference and they say oh Chuck you're so passionate you're oh you've got so much passion you know and that's the coined word he's passionate but he's maybe up barking up the wrong tree here you know and I know these guys have been fed a line by somebody but basically, you know what? I'm, I'm proud to be get excited about doing stuff every day of my life. And uh, I do believe it's because if you do go after things and you work hard at things that uh, you do get more pleasure out of them in the long run. Again, hard to pick up is hard to put down. Well, let me uh, go here and talk a little bit about some of the lessons of the, the talent uh, code in the in the book and it starts out the book is fantastic because it starts out explains how the brain works and it explains about the pleasure centers of the brain and it explains about the myelin tissue of the brain how the myelin tissue has to be formed or the white matter needs to be formed around the nerve impulses and you every time that you do something it doesn't it will not make that impulse. It's only when the person is seeking the solution. And, you know, when it talks about the three rules of deep practice, they talk about deep practice, and they talk, the, the, the author talks about 10,000 repetitions. But it starts out the three rules of deep practice that try again, fail again, fail better. Try again, fail again, fail better. Samuel Beckett, I believe, made that quote. But the point is, is that you learn from failing. None of us like, now look, there's some, I've seen some T-shirts that said, I'm either win or I learn. And, you know, everybody, that's nice to say. But, you know, really losing stinks. I'm not going to use that S word. I can't stand that word. It used to be a a vulgar word, I don't let my guys say it, but losing stinks and pain stinks and failing stinks. But when you dislike losing enough, when you dislike that feeling enough, you try to do it better. So I'm going to start out, you know, what the what the author says here, the three rules of deep practice, they, they talk about how it affects the brain and then the more myelin tissue formed, and the better the response feel it becomes. Um, he also talks about going and doing research into the talent centers of the world. He went to Brazil and did some studying for why they have the best soccer players. And it was, it was not anything fancy. It was because of the, the overload principle there. And they, why in um, – in Russia, most of the top women came out of a program. Oh, what did they call the dungeon? Did they call that place or something like that? I forget what the nickname was. But on a one-court complex, more top players have come out of there than the whole United States of America has had with all that we do. 
And then they went and they talked about different uh, musical centers uh, around our country and where these um, very impacting centers for uh, learning were at. But he uh, he talks about the repetition and the 10,000 reps, and he explains that it's impossible to get good as you can be without the repetitions. And as more sophisticated we get and the more answers we find out on the computer, the less we want to believe this. But, folks, it's old elbow grease. You know, I, I have these stories. I start thinking about these stories. So I was on the golf course um, last week before the South Carolina Tennis Association. We were playing in miserable conditions. It was misting, and then it was just absolutely pouring down rain, about 45 degrees, and we all got wet and freezing uh, the last couple holes, but um, the uh, I was one of the, the our partners when we were playing there. Um, we were uh, one of my former players, Frank Larkin, fantastic human being, and his partner. I, think Todd, I don't think Todd would mind me mentioning Todd Hall. He's, but they had this great music going on. They had uh, the Hall of Notes. Um, what is that? Pan, what what do you call that? Um, Pandora, Pandora, they were playing Hall of Notes and the old music, and boy, we're talking, that old music is so good, what the heck has happened to music, as it got more synthesized, Not, nobody, the music was unbelievable, go to Pandora, they were talking about the 80s and early 90s, I guess, or the 70s, 80s, it was great music, from the Eagles to everybody else, but I brought up the story about, uh, Glenn Fry and the Eagles, and uh, um, he talks about Jackson Brown, the history of the Eagles. It's it's on Netflix. Go see. That's pretty good. It's got a lot of stuff in there. Maybe it's not the best thing for your uh, children, but I, th- you know, I mean, the, they did a bunch of dr- stuff and drugs and stuff. I guess back back in those days. But the point is, the coolest thing was Glenn Fry talking about. Uh, when he went out to California for the first time and he lived in the basement of Jackson Brown's house, or not his house, but they shared an apartment out there and he paid, said he paid 80 bucks a month or something to live in the basement. So he was going out there to make it big. And, and the story is it's really good. He said that every morning that he, well, he would wake up at 7 o'clock, you know, he'd, he'd sleep in till 9 or 10, but then he'd, here at seven o'clock up and upstairs he would hear the teapot going off and then he would hear hear Jackson Brown working on the piano, stopping doing it again, stopping doing it again, stopping doing it again, stopping doing it again, over and over and over. He said, Finally it dawned on him, he goes, Wow, so that's how you get good. Oh, just practice and work and practice. And it was the coolest thing because you basically have to fall in love with that musical instrument, fall in love with that tennis ball in that tennis court. You have to fall in love. My son, I'm just, he's starting to fall in love with baseball. My golly, he asked me to go out and I hit grounders with a tennis racket to him yesterday and one popped him right in the head. It flew up and hit him in the head and he, yes, <laughs> teared up a little bit, and then he, he comes back out, and he does another 20 minutes worth, and uh, you got to fall in love with the thing. 
And uh, there's no way to do it except through repetition. So uh, it's it's a pretty cool thing and everything, but it's the dopamine rush that you have to have or the repetitive mind. The three rules of deep practice. Try again, fail again, fail again, fail again, but fail better. Rule one is they talk about chunking it up. In other words, break up your practices to where they mean something. In other words, you don't just grind down the uh, – you've got to keep the shore soft. Shore, the saw sharp. Shore soft. What did I say? The saw sharp. Covey's Seven Habits, I believe. But you basically – you basically uh, – you break it up and you, you do the things in parts and you do the things in parts very, very well. And uh, instead of just grinding it down. So if you want to learn about, uh, you you keep something exciting and then you move on, but you keep keep it to where, when, and I, and I know this from over the years as a coach, we didn't used to have a clock on our practices. We could practice as long as we wanted to. If the backhands weren't good enough and it was, the end of practice time, I'd send the manager, I'd say, go over and get some pizzas. We're going to be here for a while. And you would practice until you got it right. Do not put a clock on your practices, you coaches out there, as much as you can. The daggone rules make us put a clock on our practices all the time. But there is a crescendo or a momentum that the practices get to when you're learning a skill and then it starts to fade off. You've got to, it might be five seconds, it might be 50 seconds, it might be three hours and 50 minutes. It, uh, it, there's a place where you reach a crescendo and then you fade off. But when it starts to get mad, bad, you move on, you take a break, you move on. You might be able to come back, but you keep the momentum high there. But, but uh, Coyle saying, you know, break it up there a little bit. The other thing that that he talks about is that he says, repeat it, repeat it over and over and over again. You've got to repetition is the mother of skill. He talks about three three to five hours a day is normal for people who are in love with their sports. You know, and then last, do it enough times to where you feel it. You you feel what it is like. In tennis, after you've played enough tennis, the player, it's not like Roger Federer or these great players are you. If you've played for 15 or 20 years, you never are thinking about your stroke when you hit a ball. You just said, I want to hit it there, and it feels like this. Now, kinesthetic learners do this better. People who feel the ball, sometimes you can just describe what it's supposed to feel like. You say, I want top spin, and I want to hit you to hit the ball over there. So that that is a very, very important thing. But the point being is that you have to do the repetitions enough until you can feel what it's supposed to feel like. Years ago, I tried to become a good golfer. I started in my mid-30s. By the time I was 40, I got down to about 11 handicap, and I was playing a bunch with those old persimmon woods and the blades, and I went in to see the golf pro, and I said, hey, coach, coach, you think think I could ever be a scratch golfer? This this is really a great sport. I, I love the way it feels everything, and he goes, 
Coach, you started, this is the most profound statement. He said, you started a little late to ever not be able to think about your swing while you're standing over the ball. I go, woo, you're right. I'm always thinking about one of the mechanical things instead of just saying, I want to put backspin on the ball. I want to draw the ball over there. I want to slice it over there. I wanted the ball to do this. And the point is, is I almost got that one time where I, I could feel it, where where it was uh, locked in. and But you have to do it so many times where you feel it. So break it up in parts. All right? Learn to feel it is number three. Break it up into parts, repeat it, and then learn to feel it. Learn to feel it. Do it over and over and over and over. And repetition is the mother of skill. I'm going to get to the big reason I picked this topic today. So um, I'm. we get down to dumps as coaches. We need feedback sometimes too. But uh, one of my former players, Jamin Thompson, Jamin Thompson, look him up online, folks. Jamin is Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. He's a physical trainer. He's an actor. He does a lot of uh, modeling of things. His body is near perfect. I mean, the guy, he is, but you know what? The inside of this man is is great as well. And what a wonderful story about his tennis, his career, and uh, how he ended up graduating at Clemson. Then he finished his, uh, actually came down to the Citadel, helped coach, but then he went out and was doing the work. But but I was sent uh, one of his articles uh, if you look up Jamin Thompson, Lessons Learned from the Time of Pain. <clears throat> Lessons Learned from the from Times of Pain on February 22, 2011. February 22, 2011, it should come up. But he says, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he basically goes into, this is one of the longest blogs I've ever posted, but I need to do it. Uh, because he says I don't want to just uh, I, I don't I want to get to everything here and <clears throat> he said he's talked very much about going through the pain and and um, he said he lifted weights and he did his body and he said first of all as far as full looking at tennis players he'd always say well tennis players don't have to do that but then he said you know tennis players are the most highly conditioned athletes in the world. Why would we think that there is any easy or shortcuts, you know, to tennis? And the physical fitness, again, I went through this before, but the dumbing down of the physical fitness, then making it shorter and making it easier really diminishes from such a big, big part of our game. And, and I'm telling all, all of you administrators out here, listen, this is not a slam on you guys. But the minute you took physical fitness or you take out, you dumb it down with no ad scoring and all these things, what you are doing is you are not allowing the cream to run to the front of the pack. You are bringing it back in to the barrel and you're mixing it up again and making, you're dumbing it down, you're lowering the bar. And uh, it just, <clears throat> folks, it's one of the biggest disasters ever. We have put participation gurus in charge of what should be performance, high performance 
uh, experts, participation, participation mentality is screwing up our sport. We need allow. Now look, that's fine, but let's allow the cream to rise. This is a fantastic thing. I want you folks to go, if you can, back and pick this up. And I'm not going to read it, the whole thing to you because it's basically um, it's about his experience at Clemson and how he had to go went through morning madness and he had been through a, a breakdown period and then he went to a breakthrough period. And, you know, it's, some of it's embellished, but most of it is pretty right on. And, uh, but, but here's the point. When I read this, I said to myself, it is amazing to me that Jamin remembered all of these things. It is amazing to me that he was taking all this in. It's amazing. I, I never saw this. I would look at him, and he just took it in. He didn't talk much. He hardly ever talked at all. When he went on the court, it was something beautiful to watch. But the point is, I never, ever saw this. And all of the things he took in was just a fantastic, fantastic thing for me as a coach for he to remember this 10 years after he was done with everything. And, yeah, a lot of it's embellished. And, and most of you have heard the, the stories. But the, the message is this. He is so proud of the hard work he has done. And he's so proud of this that he would, he would write this story in this article about his experience of going through this. And again, Jamin Thompson, and, and the name of the article is Lessons Learned from Times of Pain, February 22, 2011. And um, again, I, I've never in my – you coaches out there, I never in my whole life have ever had a player come back and say, you know what, we work, we work too hard. But 100% of the time, they're proud of the work that they've done. They laugh, they kid, they joke about it, and I'm so proud of the excellence that was perpetuated by the hard work and by the not giving in, by just doing the next right thing, doing it the right way and doing it right now over and over and over again as teachers as coaches this is our calling we must it is our duty to expect excellence out of our youngsters to demand excellence and in a kind way you must not tolerate mediocrity you must get the people who are the tweeners to stay up with the program or get off the bus because eventually this is not an after-school activity. It is not being done just for a recreational activity. It, look, look, look it, it, it's all of those things right now. If I go out to play tennis, it's a recreational activity. If I go out to play golf, it's a recreational activity. We have it our whole life. But for our youngsters who are – who are playing tennis and going after it, it's so important for them to push themselves. It's so hard for them to go through the suffering of losing, the thrill of winning, the agony of defeat. It's so because that is, those are the stimuluses that teach our youngsters to pierce the pain in the reward. So, Folks, that, 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 this is a 
I'm going to speak again to this when I get the coach to come on and talk about building his championship program from A to Z. And, and you know, for, for now, I'm about out of time. And uh, go pick up the talent code. Go uh, please read that article by Jamin. You know, God bless each and every one of you. And, uh, folks, we will be back again next week on America. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.